Last night, I had a dream that I couldn't read a single scripture. And I was standing in not this church, I was in this giant church. It was, it was like, like hundreds of thousands of people from all different racial groups. It was awesome. Preaching this message, and I couldn't get past my one verse. And then eventually someone removed, for some reason, my pulpit. And then it was like, where's my thing? And then my Bible was in the bottom, and then eventually I had to put it back, but the pulpit was skew. And then I had to walk off to the side, and then my microphone was dead. And then I preached from behind the thing at some stage. It was just a fail, 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 fail. Woke up like, I'm not even joking, I would sleep, wake up, thinking, thank goodness the dream is over, drink some water, go back to sleep, and pick up from where I left off. <laughs> I'm not even joking. This morning I was up before four, thinking, Lord, what is going on here? And... Um, and I don't think it's because of lack of preparation. I've spent many hours preparing. And then I was like, is it that I'm doubting my ability to speak? And I thought, maybe it's that. But, um, and then as I was sitting there, I just realized, I think it's because of how important the message is. For the next four weeks, we're going to be preaching around a new series called Winsome. You're going to understand what that means in a little while. Winsome. And today I'm going to be speaking specifically around the irreducible minimum. Now, that also doesn't make sense right off the bat. I'm going to help you understand what that means in a little bit. But, but the next few weeks are so, so important in terms of our church, in terms of the church. And if, if our church stops doing this thing, we will die. Any church, any church in the world, if they stop doing this thing that we're going to be speaking about for the next four weeks, it will surely die. Cannot continue, continue living and thriving if they don't do this one thing. Winsome. So what is winsome? So simply put, it is the absolute bare, bare, bare minimum you need. Okay? So for example, end of the month, your salary comes in, and for most of us, that's not exciting because the moment it comes in, it's out. You know, that's, that's disappointing. But what is the absolute bare, bare minimum you need to come out at the end of the month? I'm not talking about after you've put down like all the luxuries. I'm talking about when you realize that floss is optional. When it should never be optional, you know what I mean? Or when you, when you realize that I can't afford the panty and I need to go to the Colgate one, that blue one, that you, the green one that you don't even see anymore. That's not even the bare minimums. When you realize, actually, for this month, let's not wash hair. Let's just go my hair like Jacques. We'll stay in place. Awesome. <laughs> the absolute bare minimum. There's a guy named Aaron, or Aaron. They call him Aaron in America, even though it's spelled Aaron. Aaron Ralston. So this guy was an engineer, and um, one day he went hiking. They even made a movie about this guy called 127 Hours. One day he went hiking, and on this trail, he was on a mountain, he fell into a gap. Is that a crevasse? Crevasse. He fell into one of those things, and as he fell down, a giant boulder came down with him. And when he got to the bottom, literally at the bottom, this boulder landed on his arm. And then he had a video camera with him, and he was able to document the next five days and this whole ex experience. He describes how he had a knife with him, and how every day for hours and hours and hours, he would try and chisel away at the rock to free his arm. He realized he couldn't do it. And eventually on the fifth day, he said, I'm going to die. I'm definitely going to die. There's no doubt about it. And then he describes how he took this knife trying to chisel away, and then at some stage, the knife pierced the flesh on his hand. 
and you realize you didn't feel anything. You realize that his own hand was busy decaying. It was at this stage that he said, to live, I have to cut off my own hand. And then he does. And in this interview, the lady asks him all these questions and he says, you may not know this, but I'm also the guy who smiled when I cut off my own hand. He says, when I stepped out of my grave into my life again, it was the greatest moment of my life. He says, you'll change nothing. He says, if you could redo it again, you won't change a thing. You won't take a sharper knife. You won't change anything. He says, that needed to happen. The moment he stepped out of his grave into his life again was the best moment of his life. What was the irreducible for Aaron? Irreducible minimum. The absolute bare, bare minimum. Was it having certain clothes? Was it having the right gear? Was it having all of his limbs? No. The absolute irreducible minimum staying alive. That is, by the way, the absolute irreducible minimum is staying alive. Every single one of us. If we get put into a corner, we're going to say, I need to stay alive no matter what. For believers, which is us, there's that irreducible minimum plus one that is far greater than staying alive. Because if, if we die or if we live, we live. If we die, we go to heaven, we live. We get to spend eternity with God. Awesome. There's an irreducible minimum that's even more important than staying alive. What then is the absolute irreducible minimum, the absolute bare, bare minimum for every single one of us as believers? It is this. Knowing that people need Jesus. That's it. It's knowing that you need Jesus. That's why we're here today. That's why we're gonna have communion later. That's why we worship. It's because we realize we need Jesus. Maybe you'd forgotten this truth, but the reality is every single person on the planet needs Jesus. When I just became a Christian, I was in the Dutch Reformed Church for a little bit, and then I went to the AFM, and my pastor at the AFM, we also had a doctorate in theology. We had to call him Dr. Gerrit. It was awesome. His favorite verse in the Bible was John 3, 16. It's also my favorite verse now because of him, but I never understood why he said that. Why is John 3, 16 his favorite verse? And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He described that this is his favorite verse because if you'd removed every single verse from the Bible and kept only this, the irreducible minimum, you would know why Jesus came to the earth. You would know that you need Jesus to inherit eternal life. I love that. That is the irreducible minimum for every single one of us. Another reality is this. Every person you know and every person you'll ever meet has a paramount an urgent, giant billboard over their heads saying, I need Jesus. I was made by him and for him. 
And you know what the thing with that giant billboard is? Is that it becomes white noise. I'll stay in Durban North, so I drive on the N2 every morning. And there's a bunch of these billboards. And sometimes one of them would catch my eye, and I'd be like, that's a dumb ad. Why is there such a giant photo and the writing is so small? People can die like this. You know, I'm trying to read the billboard. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. But what I realized is after time, my brain blocks out this billboard. I don't even see it. It becomes white noise. There's a thing in your brain called your reticular activating system. It's a really cool thing that God placed there. Its job is to filter information. It's like a bouncer. <laughs> You're not allowed in. You can come in. Information. Apparently, there's thousands and thousands of bits of information available every second. Your brain can't absorb all of it. It needs a filtering system. You stay out, you come in. So for example, you buy a new car. Have you noticed that all of a sudden, the whole world is driving this car? That's your reticular activating system. Or when you go to the mall and, and you're talking to your wife or your husband or whoever, and you don't hear anything except white noise in this conversation, and then your favorite song comes on over the radio. Everything was blocked out until your favorite song, because of your reticular activating system, came on, and you're like, oh, yes, I like this song. I almost sang a song. I wasn't, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> if I was good at singing, I'd have a CD by now. Got lots of CDs for preaching, by the way. You must get them. <laughs> that was good, I think. Anyway. <laughs> the things that are important to you gets programmed into your RAS to stay important. Like, I love leadership. So where everywhere I go, just, I see leadership all over the place. I love Jesus, so wherever I go, I find Jesus in everything, even in birds. Everywhere, in nature. The things that are not important gets tuned out, gets blocked out, it becomes white noise. And we've got to allow Jesus to change that for us. If that is the irreducible minimum, that I need Jesus, and every person you know needs Jesus, and every person you'll ever meet needs Jesus, if that is the giant billboard, we can't afford to have it turn into white noise. There's this guy in the Old Testament who God instructed to go do something, and he just absolutely refused. Let's pause there. There's this area called Assyria. Now, these guys were brutal, absolutely brutal. They were evil, okay? So when they, they were absolute masters at war because of how brutal and evil they were. When, they had, when you were one of their prisoners, what they would do is, is they would cut out your tongue. Brutal. And then they would flay you while you're alive, cut off your skin while you're alive. And then one researcher says what they would do with the skin is they would put it at the gates, the in, at the entrance of the gates, so you could see when you come in there what they do to people who cross them. And then God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. Now all of a sudden the story of Jonah makes sense. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, to preach the message of Jesus, or the, not Jesus, Jesus wasn't born back then, but, but to preach God wants to save them. He didn't want to. I never understood this. I thought he was just being frustrating. Then he ran away from God, and then he got swallowed by a fish, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then eventually he agrees. He says, God, okay, I'll go. 
then he goes. And apparently Nineveh was so big that if he'd walk through it, it'll take you three days. After about a day's walk, he stopped. And he preached a one-liner, and he said, in 40 days, Nineveh will perish. <laughs> That's an effective sermon. Because, because after that, all, of the, all 120,000 that lived there turned to God. All of them, even the king, turned to God after that one-liner. And then Jonah salt after that. He was disappointed. Then he gives God a CV. He's like, God, I knew that you are slow to anger, rich in love, and compassionate. I know you all these things, and I knew you weren't going to punish them. That's why I didn't want to go. Now he's sitting there in the sun, feeling sorry for himself, saying, I wish I could just die. And then God lets a little plant grow and gives him some shade. And then he sent a breeze, and then it was lovely for Jonah. And then the next day, God sent a worm to eat the roots of the plant, and then the plant died, and then Jonah was even more sulky the next day because now his shade is gone. And then God speaks to him. Jonah 4 verse 10. You have been concerned about this plant. He was disappointed that this plant had died. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern of the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left. Every single one of them has a giant billboard shouting, I need Jesus. Just for those of you who are wondering, I know Jesus wasn't born in the Old Testament, but he was there right from the beginning. Scripture says he was crucified before the foundations of the earth. They need Jesus too. The city of Nineveh was full of searching, hungry, open, hurting people. Jonah went. And then there was this guy named Saul who was persecuting the Christian church. He was passionate about persecuting them. And one day, he was on a journey and he saw a, he saw a light. And then from that light, a voice spoke to him and said, why, Saul, are you persecuting me? Then Saul didn't know who this was. He said, so who's speaking to me? How am I persecuting you? And then the voice said, it's Jesus. And he gave him instructions. He said, go to this place, and when you're there, you'll know what to do. And God sent people. But then he was blinded for three days and three nights. Sounds like Jonah's story. Three days and three nights, he was blinded. Then his, when his eyes opened, he could see that people needed Jesus. When Jonah was spat out, he could see, even though he didn't want to, that those people, even though they were evil, needed Jesus. And then the Bible tells us about Jesus. He's the son of God. Came and lived a perfect life, was punished by death like a sinner, even though he had not sinned. And then he laid in the belly of a cave for three days and three nights, and then he was raised from the dead. Jesus was alive. <laughs> raised from the dead, he conquered death, and Jesus was alive. Every single one of us, because of the message of Jesus, we've been raised to life. Every single one of us. Every single one of these lights represents a person who's given their life to Jesus. A few Fridays ago, 
about 15 of the Gazirid youth gave their lives to Jesus for the first time, and their lights will now shine brightly in this world because Jesus has saved them. That giant billboard that said, I need Jesus, and I was made by him and for him, they received that message because their friends said, I see this billboard, I'm not gonna let it become white noise, and I'm gonna invite you to meet Jesus, and they did. The Bible says, Angels in heaven were celebrating because of every single one of those guys who gave their life to Jesus. Paul was slightly different to Jonah, though. Jonah didn't want to go, but Paul, on the other hand, did want to go. So in, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he goes off on this, on this whole rant on how he deserves to get paid as a pastor, but he doesn't, he chooses to not get paid. He says, so no one can hold it against me. And then he continues to say, though I am a free man and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. This was, this was Paul's life mission, to win as many as possible. Some translations say that we may save some, win many, save some, win some. He says, to the Jew, I became like the Jew. To the Gentile, I became like the Gentile. And he goes off on this, and he gives him a whole list of people who he spent time with, who he invested in, and then he invited them into a relationship with Jesus. Along with the irreducible minimum, Paul understood this. He understood if I could understand what my irreducible minimum as a believer is, it would give me purpose. And he understood that his purpose as an apostle was to win as many as possible. I believe that this message isn't optional for any of us. I believe that the moment we understand that this giant billboard says, I need Jesus, our focus will change. Our purpose will change. When you understand the irreducible minimum, Along with that comes a clear and compelling purpose. I met a guy who's a friend of mine now, his name is Rajan. I met him at a global leadership summit a few years ago and, and it's been interesting how God has used this guy in, in several key moments in my life and I, I, I met him in Spur again the other night. The second time I met him in Durban North, Durban North Riverside Spur. And um, I just met him there again out of the blue, random. We both arrived at the same time and we struck up a conversation, and then he, he continues to tell me he's not in ministry, he loves Jesus, but he's not in ministry, not full-time ministry anyway. He's, and he continues, we continue talking about his church and his passion, and then he says, Jacques, do you know what my ministry is? And I was like, you know your ministry? It sounds like you're speaking like a pastor. Because if you ask John what his ministry is, he'll tell you. If you ask me what my ministry is, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, that is to reach the lost and equip the saints. Reach the lost, equip the saints. And I, I said, no, Rajan, what is your ministry? And he told me his ministry, and he told me how he was functioning in this purpose that God had created for him. And then I wondered if our church, if, if you guys, do you know what your ministry is? It's a question you need to ask yourself and be able to answer yourself. Do you know what your ministry is? It speaks to your purpose. Truth is, God doesn't want to hide it from you. He doesn't care if you're young or old. 
He has a purpose. Do you know what it is? And are you doing it? The truth is when we speak about evangelism, this is what this whole series is about. Evangelism for me for a long time was a very negative experience. Because what they taught me about evangelism wasn't effective. It wasn't effective. I mean, I would do the street thing and I would connect people to Jesus and then they would just be gone. We don't know if they ever connected to church again. It was just very ineffective. We're not expecting you to go from door to door and say, hi, I'm Jacques. Can I tell you about Jesus? Let me pray for you. Shh. I'm not expecting you to do that unless God tells you to do that. I'm not expecting you to go stand on a soapbox in the middle of Westville Mall and start shouting at the top of your lungs. That may work, and if Jesus tells you to do that, then do it. But that's not what we're expecting you to do. For this year, we're just gonna do relational ministry. All we're asking you to do for this year is to invest in the people you know, the people you meet, and invite them to our church. The bare minimum. You can exceed, you can do whatever you want. We would love for every single person to lead people to the Lord themselves. You need to know how to lead someone to Christ. If you don't know, find out. But all we're asking you to do for this year, if we stop doing this, any church stops doing this, every, any church stops reaching out to those in their communities, it will die eventually. Slow and agonizing death. So the purpose of this board, why did we build it, why did we make it? Every time someone gives their lives to Jesus, we want them to, to screw in the light bulb as a symbol and as a reminder that they were invited to our church and we introduced them to Jesus. Barry, I hope this one is wired properly. Did you do the E or did I do the E? Is it on? You did the E. Yes, I did the E. This was my one. <laughs> Guys, and, and this is a family thing for us. When you see someone in the foyer, this board's going up in the foyer, when you see someone screwing in their light bulb, there has to be a celebration. There has to be a noise. We have to high five them like a million times. Don't do that. Don't high five them a million times. That's like slapping, it's abuse. <laughs> but we've got to celebrate. I mean, that person got plucked out of hell and is now going to heaven because of this moment, the moment they decided to surrender their lives to Jesus. And you could be part of that story. There's 200, exactly 275 holes there. Can you trust with us that God would give us 275 salvations? Could you trust with us? Two or three of you, can ask again. Can you trust with us that God can give us 275. Now you're asking, did God give us that number? Truthfully, that's how much could fit on there. <laughs> Honestly, if we had to build a board that was big enough to fit all the people that God wanted on here, we wouldn't, you can't afford it first of all, and it would be ginormous, because scripture says that God wants none to perish. That's God's desire. That's the number that none should perish. Can you trust with us? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we're so aware that you died for us on the cross, that you gave us eternal life, 
that you'd forgiven us all of our sins. And all we need to do, Lord, is repent and turn to you. Repent and turn to you, that's it. You've removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Nothing can separate us from your love. And scripture says you'll never think about our transgressions again. And that's why we worship and we love you. Lord, as we go into this year, won't you help us win some? Won't you help us win as many as possible? Not for the sake of numbers, because numbers don't matter, but for the sake of reaching the lost. Amen.